Do you have a question about your home? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. We have ants in the kids' bedrooms. So I'm wondering, should we maybe spray the perimeter of the house on the outside or is this something we tackle on the inside? Or Well, the professional exterminators, and I've worked with them for many years, will do both. They're going to spray the inside along the baseboard. They will also spray the outside of the home. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. And every week at this time, he's right here answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. If you'd like to join the program, you can. You can give us a call at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. And before we get going this week, uh, we would like to take this opportunity to welcome those of you who are listening to the program for the first time on our newest affiliate, K. LXX Super Talk 1270 in Bismarck, North Dakota. We look forward to hearing from you with your questions about your home inside or out. Again, you can reach us at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. It's time we spend uh, a few minutes talking about a solar update, dealing with solar energy sources for your home. And I say this in part because of you, our listeners. You've contacted me so many times with questions by email and questions by phone. Some of those make the air talking about solar energy. And what this tells me is a recent statistic that News USA published uh, just within the last few days that more and more Homeowners across this country are considering and indeed installing some form of solar power. And according to the uh, News USA article, home solar installations continue to be on the increase. In 2012, homeowners installed enough residential solar panels to power the equivalent of almost, get this, 24,000 homes. That's pretty substantial. Now, a lot of changes have taken place in the solar power world in the last 20 years, but especially in the last three to five years. We have more and more devices and appliances, air conditioning units, fans, and so forth in our homes today that are powered by solar. And before I go too far with this, I have to relate just a story that was shared with me just in the last day or two regarding an individual living in Puerto Rico, and you know that falls under the tax uh, guidelines of, of uh, U.S. government and so forth as a territory, they were paying $700 a month in electric cost. Energy is extremely high on that island. And they decided to put in a solar system. Now, this will put you back in your chair. They spent $60,000 on a solar system, but they took advantage of the federal government tax credits. They got a 30% tax credit on that. Then they are not only producing the power they need, but they're producing excess. They've gone from a negative of several hundred dollars a month to a positive of 1200 They get their power free, and they're making $1,200 a month because they're selling excess back to the grid. That's almost a $2,000 a month change in financial position for a $60,000 investment with a 30% tax credit, government picking up about $18,000 of that. So to live in this home year after year, after three to four years, they have a full payback. Now, maybe it's issues like that for some of you paying very high energy costs that's driving you to look at this. 
But what we miss out on, or the reason we miss this so many times, is the front-end cost. Remember I just said they invested $60,000, then you have to work your way through the tax credits, then you have to allow a period of time to go by to actually recoup that money in your month-to-month savings and or by selling that power back to the grid. And most of us are not willing to do that or perhaps not financially able to do it. There are companies that will lease these systems to you. They will actually charge you for the energy that their panels produce at a lesser rate than power companies charge you. That's how they essentially pay for the system. And then, I mean, they're being paid back for that, if you will. So you have no front-end cost. There are options. There are ways to deal with this. But the solar technology that we're dealing with today is a long way from the original solar technology. Most of us don't realize this either, but solar technology goes all the way back to 1885. 1885. Those are some of the beginning years where this was recognized. In 1954, though, this is really the birth of what we use today when researchers at the Bell Laboratories determined that they could harness this this energy, the photoelectric energy, uh, using silicon chips. So we have advanced so much from that time period. Now let's talk briefly about a few things that so many of you have questions about. And that has to do with solar only being effective in warm climates. You think Florida, you think California, you think Gulf Coast states perhaps. You don't think Midwest, New England, uh, or even areas Washington state. But that is not true. For example, all of you know you can get a sunburn on a cloudy day, just like you can get a sunburn on a cloudless day. The sun's rays still reach the earth. So solar works regardless. Now, it may work more effectively in certain parts of the especially northern hemisphere, based on how many hours, certainly, of sunlight you have per day. But the sun works regardless of whether you're in a more sunny climate or one that tends to have more overcast days. Again, I cited California happens to be one area, and California leads the U.S. in solar deployment, and you will find more and more solar cells there than you will in most any other states across the U.S. But I want you to think about this that Germany is the country with the most installed solar capacity worldwide. Germany is the leader worldwide. Yet when you look at their average hours you look of sunlight, you look at the cloud cover, and you compare that to places in the United States, it's extremely similar to Seattle, Washington. So now if you're saying in the far northwest part of this country, if I can generate power using solar cells, why can't I in the Midwest? How about the New England area? How about the Gulf Coast states? So solar power should never be off the table, but it is something that we have to take a serious look at, again, based on our budget, based on how long we intend to live in the home, based on how much we pay for our energy cost where we live, because that varies drastically from one part of the country to the other. Solar technology has also allowed these panels to be a lot more attractive on our homes. Instead of looking like somebody uh, just threw something on the roof 20 years ago, in many cases we're seeing... Solar panels that are a solid black. You're not seeing all kinds of tubes and other exposed piping. They're also thinner than they used to be. They produce more power, more energy for in smaller panels. So it doesn't take as many of them to generate what we need to power our house, much less maybe adding one or two to be able to sell power back to the grid. We also are finding companies like GAF and Dow that have spent millions of dollars developing solar shingles. We've seen those come in the market starting in uh, about a year ago, and another company again released them this past year. So we're seeing that somewhat limited across the country, Texas, Florida, California. Gradually, these will make their way nationwide. But the solar shingles take the place of your roof shingles. 
and they provide power for your home. We're also seeing companies like Linux. They have developed air conditioning and heating systems that have their own solar collection systems, and it powers their unit and then still allows you to take the excess power and put it back into your home's grid system or to sell that. So the technology changes are phenomenal. The other thing that we're seeing as a result of all this change is that the cost per kilowatt hour continues to come down. Don't be frightened by that $60,000 figure I gave you as an example earlier. What I want you to do if you're interested in solar power is deal with a solar contractor with a solar engineer, people that are experienced in these fields and people that can help you develop the right uh, system for your home and from there get all the numbers you need. Don't be afraid of solar. The technology is changing. Coming up in just minutes on this edition of Ken the Contractor, we'll bring you in the news and also uh, we'll update you with some universal living. We'll talk about garage door openers. What do you hear about this garage door opener? As always, you can reach the show at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to Ken to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Quick break and Ken will answer your questions next. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Our contact number, we can always reach Ken, is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Let's go to the phones right now. And joining us next is John. Hi, John. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Um, got a question about uh, the house on the outside. I've got gutters that have mildew on them, and I want to clean and paint them. Uh, what's the best thing to use to clean the gutters, and is it okay to paint in the winter time, or is that strictly a, a spring and summer operation? Well, let me answer your second question first. Most paints have a low temperature rating on them, and depends on how much money you're willing to spend for a paint product. You can spend enough money that you can paint as long as it's above freezing, but most of your products are going to tell you, especially when you're painting aluminum and metal, that typically they want to be somewhere in a 50-degree-plus range, and they want that to be sustained, not just something that you are, we're going to reach 50 degrees at 2 p.m. today, but we're starting out at 31 in the morning, for example. Okay. So whatever you do, uh, read what it says on the side of the can. Again, if you if something you must do right now, if you're looking to sell a property or you're trying to give it a little more quick curb appeal, there are some products, some paint materials that will allow you to paint in colder temperatures. I don't know of any that get you below freezing. So that's the first thing that you should be aware of. Tell your paint supplier what you're trying to do, and they'll lead you in the right direction. But, again, anticipate you'll spend a little more money for the product. Okay. Now, when it comes to cleaning, if this is relatively small, you don't have three or 400 feet of it, you can get up there and simply wipe it down. with. If you want to use something that you've got around the house, just a bleach and water solution, and it will clean the mold and mildew off that. You can use other products. There's 409 and Fantastic and other things that will clean it that have some chemicals that all – I'm talking about just standard household items now uh-huh. – that will also clean that. As well, but then if you want to get a, if you want to go out and buy a product that will do probably the best job would be a, a mold and mildew remover and spray bottles. If you happen to be using a pressure washer, you can bring it in through the mix and spray it there. But a lot of people, if you don't have pressure washers, you don't want to go out and pay for it. You don't have a lot of gutter. It's just a hand washing job that you do on it. Uh, it's not unlike washing your car. You just want to use the right product. But clearly, okay. clearly you want to prep it properly before you get ready to paint it. And not just removing mold and mildew, as you clean it, that'll remove any oils and scum and just general air pollution that settles on it. But if it's a painted surface now and it's peeling, you want to be certain that you've scraped and sanded and removed all of that, and you want to spot prime it before you go over it totally. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Uh, We appreciate you listening. Thanks for your call. Let's take another call at 800-614-2975. And it's Roger who joins us right now. 
Yes, I have a question on a heating system that's in my house. Uh, it works fine. It's propane. Uh, it's not a heat pump, but it, the exhaust and the uh, intake is on the roof. It has curved pipes, which I, I think most of them are like that. I was wondering, can birds and or a bat or something get into the intake and, and clog it up? Because sometimes it cuts off. And uh, I have to. It resets itself after so many of the little blinks on the that's inside the uh, unit. Yeah, and I think I follow the pipes you're talking about. I want to clarify for other listeners that when you talk about intake, that's your combustion air that comes into the furnace, and also on the discharge, it's just the vent from the the, the gases that uh, are trying to need to be evacuated after the gas is burnt in the unit. Is that correct? Right. Okay. And and you are right, and I'm glad you raised that question because uh, there was an incident on uh, in a, a commercial application the, just this past week uh, in our listing area where a vent was dislodged from a particular heating unit and some of the gases were coming back into the facility. And so you have to pay attention not only to your combustion air. If the unit's not getting enough oxygen, if it's not getting enough makeup air, one, it won't burn efficiently, even if it continues to burn, so you're wasting money on your fuel, but two, it won't burn as hot as it's supposed to, and at a third point, if there's insufficient air, it will completely shut down and it will recycle again. If it's got an automatic pilot, it will come on once it's sensing the proper oxygen. So you are right. I would check those from time to time. The same holds true on the discharge or the exit side, the vent side of this. And this is part should be part of our normal home maintenance, and you're thinking about it. A lot of us don't, but especially in the spring, you may want to get up there or, or, or late fall or before you really fire up this unit on a regular basis and be sure you don't have squirrels nesting in it, you don't have birds that have built nests, you don't have just debris that may have blown in. Now, all of these should at least have bird and insect screens on them. But sometimes those things fall out. Sometimes the wind tears them out. Sometimes they're just never put in. So it's always wise to check both your combustion air as well as your exhaust for these units. And the one other thing I'd mention quickly, if you don't have this and for others, be sure you've got a carbon monoxide detector in your house if you have any gas combustible items. We have that. So I know one year we, when we had the deep snow, it got so deep the pipes were like under the snow and yeah, and that can create a problem. It's really good that you're paying attention to it, and I think everyone else should because that blocks your makeup air. It also blocks the ability for it to vent properly. And if it's getting too much back pressure, if it can't vent properly, with the newer safety features, it's going to shut it down. Yeah, I noticed on the intake, uh, you know, there's no way to really check to see if there's anything in there unless I had a camera to go up and down the pipe because it's like uh, 15 feet. To the unit. Well, yes. what what you can do, and this may not be something for you, you may need a service person out, but they can run an equivalent uh, device to a snake through that to be sure that the line is free and clear. The other thing that I have done is simply, when the unit is off, simply take a vacuum cleaner and be sure that you can easily pull a shop vac, be sure you're easily pulling air through that, because you can tell whether there's some kind of a, a clog in a line if you're pulling a, a putting a shop vac on it, whether it's a, a wet or dry material. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Roger, thanks for your call. Don't forget, you can not only call the program at 800-614-2975, or you can email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. And Harvey has done exactly that, and this is a question that uh, I deal with several times, especially during the colder season. Harvey asks, when it comes to keeping the downstairs as warm as the upstairs, does ceiling fans help enough to make it worth buying and installing them? 
And Harvey, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lengthy answer to this. It's not as simple as yes and no. Yes, ceiling fans, in my experience, are very beneficial considering that they're fairly low cost and they're low cost to operate. Ceiling fans used in the winter months for most homes and especially especially those of you that have higher ceilings, and I mean, let's say, nine foot plus. The average ceiling, the typical ceiling height in a house is eight feet. But especially if you're nine feet, ten feet, twelve feet or so in your house or a particular room, ceiling vans are a huge plus in that reverse motion. You want to turn, push that button on the side up, and what it does is reverse the blades, very slow speed, but it's enough that it forces air up, and then it pushes that warmer air back down off the ceilings. Now, that's effective in the sense that it's helping you in that particular room. But it is also, if you have a central heating and cooling system in your home, and let's say you have only one zone, meaning you have one unit for both the first and second floor, and typically that the ground floor, if the thermostat's there, tends to get a little warmer, uh, or the, the thermostat will not be satisfied. Hot air may be rising, depending on how, if you have an open area or stairwell, and it could be the reverse. So the, the layout of the house, the design of the house can impact that. The bottom line is the fans help mix the air. It helps get the hot air off the ceiling, push it back down to where you live, and your system will pull it back through the return air, and then it will cycle back through the home. So to that extent, yes, they will work. Now, when it comes to balancing, meaning you want 75 degrees downstairs, 75 degrees upstairs, that's very difficult to do with a single-zone system. And that's because that hot air typically rises. Again, if you've got an open stairwell or you've got a large open balcony area, that air is going to want to rise, hit that second floor. It's going to be warmer there than it is downstairs. So these are things we deal with. If you're designing new and you have the opportunity, I always suggest two zones, one top floor, one down floor. I think fans are worth the investment, and I think you'll see a payback on them. Harvey, we do appreciate your email, and don't forget, you can always reach Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson and Ken the Contractor. If you have a question for Ken, you can reach us at 800 800- 614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time now for this week's In the News segment. Weekly Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and also new construction. What are we dealing with this week? Well, this week's uh, In the News comes to us really from Better Homes and Gardens. Now, many of you are saying, I read that. I know about that. They reach 40 million people every month across this country. And they've released recently a proprietary research document where they have really been looking at what we, the consumers, want in our next home and some of our priorities that relate to our spaces, how we're using the home, what we're doing for home improvements. And I'll tell you at the end of this why this information is important to all of us. It's not just about the figures. And they've compared 2011 to 2012 as they completed the year, and they wrapped this up. One of the things they're finding that 59% compared to 48% a year earlier, saying now is the right time to buy a house. And of those that responded, they are interested, many of them, in purchasing a house during this year. Now, that's going to be driving prices. That's one reason these kinds of figures are important to all of us. If you watch the trends, you see where we are as consumers, the In the News segments impact us from day to day more than we realize. Some other things that these numbers reveal to us, they see how people are viewing their neighborhoods or their homes. So if you are a consumer looking to sell, this could be important to you as well. 
Priority has now been placed on a home's neighborhood. That has gone up 55% versus 48%. Energy-saving appliances are now imported to consumers. A large, spacious room, at least a gathering room, are also extremely important as well. So we're seeing people look at homes a little different. We're also seeing the size of homes, the square footage, come down when I look at all of these numbers, what people are looking for. We're not seeing the McMansions out there today that we saw a few years back. We're also seeing those that are staying in their current homes that answered the survey way up to 64% looking to remodel bathrooms and kitchens. Now, with all of that said, and I'm paraphrasing the data, you don't want to hear all the numbers, I want you to understand that as we see trends moving in a particular direction, two things can be positive. One, we see manufacturers following those trends. Actually, that's one reason for the data. That will set the tone for materials, for products, for colors, for textures that are available for us. If we're doing remodeling, if we're thinking about uh, building or adding on, we're going to find more products available. If there are more of them available, we're going to find them at lower prices. That's a real positive for us. If you are looking to sell, it also tells you that now may be a better time. You may be able to get a little more money for the house than you did one, two, three years ago. You can be pretty certain there are going to be more consumers looking. And if your home has been redecorated or you have what I just mentioned, perhaps some large gathering rooms, outdoor space, for example, your house is going to be more appealing than somebody else's down the street that doesn't conform. Pay attention to these numbers. They're more than just statistics. Now, for those of you on the buy side, this means just the reverse of what I just said for the sellers. Prices will be going up. We've already seen that in certain parts of the country. So when we look at the in the news segments, all of these numbers always mean something to us. Follow the trends. Follow your pocketbook. If the time is right for you to buy, it's still a good time to make a deal, but you can count on the fact that prices will be moving upward across the country. Let's hit some emails right now from KenTheContractor.com. And uh, Ben's got the first one for you. Ken, he's got problems with a stone wall, and you never like to hear this. It is crumbling. No, you really don't. And Ben writes this to us from, comes to us from Greenville, South Carolina, and he said, I put up a stone wall a year or so ago, and I'm assuming he's talking about a fence here when he says a stone wall. I'm not thinking this is a, a house proper, but he goes on, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, Apparently, I did something wrong with the mortar mix because I'm seeing the mortar crumbling from around the stone. Do you have any suggestions, and what did I do wrong? Well, Ben, the most obvious thing to me, having not seen this, because you're not in a severe winter climate where you have a lot of freeze-thaw like the bay in, in the Midwest or the northern part of the country, is probably an improper mixture in your mortar. There really is a science to mixing mortar and sand, the components that go in that. Too much sand, it crumbles. Uh, it's too, it, you can't lay the stone or brick or block right if you don't have enough sand. It, it won't bond. So there is a right formula for that. That's probably the most obvious thing I can say. I will tell you that if you look at quickcrete products, you're going to find they have mortar repair. It comes in a tube. It's also a trial-on product. It comes in a bag as well, so it's easy to mix, and it's pre-mixed. You don't have any guessing. But for the joints where the mortar's coming out, go to QuickCrete, to their website or to your local store that carries a product, and find what is right using the mortar repair from QuickCrete. Remove all the loose uh joints that you have, fill this in and you'll find that will do a fine job for you. Hopefully, hopefully this is a limited area and you don't have to tear this whole fence down and start over again. But if you do, next time around, be sure you mix the mortar properly. All right. Next one uh, comes to us from Ellen, who's got some old plumbing fixtures and she needs to restore them. 
Yeah, this is something I encourage everybody to take a look at rather than throw things in the landfill. And, Ellen, I really commend you for this. You're doing some remodeling in Wilmington, Delaware, and it says you're restoring an old house. And in there you have some old plumbing fixtures. You've got a claw-legged bathtub, which is very expensive if you're trying to buy new today. And you've also got some older type sinks. Now, you're telling me that they are stained, they are chipped. Basically, they're showing their years. Is it worth having them re-enameled, or do you just go out and buy something, the retro style, that looks similar in today's new products? I'm going to encourage you to do two things. First, I'm all about trying to salvage something that is usable that can be repurposed and refinished to make it look new. But that's me personally. I still want you to do some comparison here, Ellen. One, I want you to solicit three bids from refinishers of these products. Now, write a simple spec, have them show up at the house because you're not going to throw this in the back of the truck and haul it down to a shop, but let them price it, refinishing it in place and compare those numbers. Then I want you to go to some of the new plumbing wholesale houses and get three prices also on what you would consider comparable or acceptable to replace these retro styles with. Then I want you to compare the new versus the old, and I want you to look at the quality and the gauge and the thickness, and I think you'll probably come to the conclusion that if you get good competitive numbers on refinishing, you're going to be a lot happier refinishing the old and leaving it in place. That's my recommendation to you. Tell you what, if you have not bought plumbing fixtures in a while, you are going to have some dramatic sticker shock. You will. We had to replace something as simple as a faucet handle in one of the bathrooms in our house. Number one, trying to match up anything that's over what, how many years old is almost impossible. Especially, you got to be on probably 15 or 20. Uh, it's going to be extremely difficult. Right. If you're trying to match things up, in many cases, you know, they want to send you, sell you the whole new apparatus. They want to sell you the faucet. They want to sell you all the, the hardware and everything that goes with it. But I didn't realize the amount of money you can spend on a faucet. A simple thing like a faucet can take you upwards of two to three hundred dollars. Oh, it, it can go much higher than that. If, if you look at the next aisle over, you can add a zero to some of those. You can be into the thousands. I kid really? you not. I kid you not. How in heaven's name would you spend thousands of dollars on a faucet unless it was somehow covered in diamonds or gold? I have put some in that cost in excess of one thousand dollars. It didn't make coffee. It didn't wash the car. It didn't vacuum the floor. It discharged water. Decorator styles. You get some of these that are attached to names. It's like clothing for men and women. Mm-hmm. You get a name on it. The numbers go up. There are no diamonds. There's no gold. There's no jewels that come with it. Yeah. I remember years ago when I was a kid growing up, uh, my parents couldn't understand why I wanted to buy those shirts with the alligator on it and why they cost it so much. So my dad said, he said, it's an alligator. Who cares? Why are we spending 20 bucks more? Take a magic marker. Draw one on there. Be happy. Yeah. At one point, he said, it'd be cheaper. I'll buy your own alligator. (laughs) We'll take a quick break and continue your listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, you can always reach us at 800-614-2975. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is here every weekend at this time answering questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 1-800-614-2975. That's 1-800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken at our website, KenTheContractor.com. Let's go back to the phones. Stacy joins us right now. She's next. Hi, Stacy. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I got a quick question for you. We live in a turn of the century Victorian and it is bad need of rewiring because I'm assuming since some of the fixtures were gas lights and the wiring was done through the fixture with the uh, cloth cloth covering. Oh wow, um, you do need some new wiring. Yeah, 
Yeah, and um, a lot of the upstairs is still plaster, um, but downstairs, what they did, I think, the previous owners was a quick fix. They tried to modernize by putting plaster or put, putting wall um, uh, sheetrock over the top of the plaster. In order to redo the wiring, is all that going to have to come off? Because most rooms have only one outlet. Now, I, I would say just understanding in general what you're describing, that you don't have to peel all these walls off to have at it. There okay. are, you may find, for example, that you, surface wire or run in wire mold so that it still looks nice and professional could be run in a closet where they can access, the electricians can, walls and other rooms. They may be able to access through the ceiling if they're trying to run new wires there simply by taking a fixture down, route the wires, and get into a wall cavity. Now, will, okay. it, will it be challenging? Yes. Will it cost you more? <laughs> and will it cost you more than a new home to wire? Absolutely. But you will not have to go in and peel all the wires off. There are so many different methods today available to electricians to route wires in very difficult to access places that you okay. would be quite surprised. So don't be turned off if that's your concern that you got to take all the drywall, all the plaster off and just expose this house to the bare studs because you won't. Again, that's not to say in a few limited areas that might be the best alternative to really conceal almost all your wires and to get outlets and switches where you'd like to have them. But there are ways of doing it so it looks neat, clean, and professional, and you don't have a massive mess of just ripping everything down. Okay. Now, what, I do, what I do want to say to you is you're, you're very astute to pay attention to this because the fact that you have wires that old, hopefully you're not having current electrical issues, but you certainly could. Like any other products in our home, the insulation on these wires have a, a finite lifespan, and as they start to break down from heat and attic or walls, or just the use of the lights, you're going to find that the insulation will crack, it becomes, the wires get frayed, it can wear, and you can't have an electrical short that causes a fire long term. Yes, sir. And if, um, and actually there's very little to no insulation in the house as well. So therefore, if to do that, it probably, I mean, if, if I want to do that and want to tear it down all the way to the bare, to the bare bones, then that would be the best way to put insulation other than, I guess, then drilling holes and blowing it in, correct? That is a way to do it, but again, that's if you're looking to completely gut and renovate, then I'd go for it doing exactly that if that's in my budget and that's within my time frame as well. But if I'm saying I've got to live in the house and keep everything functional and I really don't have the budget to gut all of this, then I would look at installing insulation in those wall cavities. There are, again, I probably identify six different items that are made for retrofit insulation in wall cavities. Of course, your floor and your ceiling area is going to be fairly easy for you to deal with. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I think that gives me gives me <laughs> some dollar signs in front of my eyes that I knew were going to be there. But and in order to rewire, it, it would be best to do it all at one time. I mean, you couldn't I, like do a room at a time, correct? No, you're going to find the biggest bang for the buck comes in just making this a project, getting competitive bids, get at least three bids on what you're going to do. Outline, okay. outline a general scope of work and how you're going to approach this so that every bidder gets the same information and then full, okay. fully evaluate those bids and compare them side by side and then ask questions of your bidders to be sure you know what they're pricing and you know what you're buying. All righty, no hidden surprises. No Thank surprises. Thanks for the call. Stacy. we appreciate your call. Thanks for the call. If you'd like to join us, the number to dial is 1-800-614-2975. Don't forget that. And also, we like to keep you up to date on universal living. Ken, and you got an interesting one this week, I think. Well, it's not new, but it's something I want to remind everybody of. 
When we talk about universal living, we're just trying to make everything in the home accessible for just about anybody, regardless of physical disabilities, age, height. It doesn't make any difference. We want it convenient. And there's so many people that I've talked with over the years, even as a, a builder, that don't want to invest the two or $300 for garage door openers. Now, garage door opener is one of those items that just makes access in and out of that space easy for absolutely everybody. But garage door openers are not what they were years ago. We bought an opener. We set three or four numbers inside it. We pushed a button, and the door went up and down. Pretty basic. Today's technology is so different. Not only do we have enhanced safety features, and that has to do with pressure switches that reverse if it hits something, a dog, a cat, a pet, a car, a bicycle, but we also have infrared sensors, motion sensors, beams that block these doors that will send them back up or keep them from coming down. But we go beyond that. Because for years we've had what's called rolling code technology. You no longer set numbers. And there are some more sophisticated technology that actually controls the signal. The last thing you want to do is buy a garage door that lets somebody drive up and down the street with a little radio device finding the signal and raise your door and go in and rob your house or take things out of the garage. That's why this is extremely important. Not only are you making the home more universally acceptable to everyone to be able to access this garage and use it, but you're also offering an added level of security. If you're going to be buying a garage door opener, you want to be sure you have at least, at the very minimum, what's called rolling code technology or better. You also want to buy one with the battery backup today. They operate on a trickle charge, so the battery stays charged up if the power's out. They have lights with timers on them, remote controls that work on your keychain instead of the big heavy ones that you used to have to wear around your neck. Or They weren't that bad. Put on the sun visor in the car, and you also want to be sure they're compatible with many of the vehicles that are there today that have built-in remote control devices that they will sync up. That's today's segment on Universal Living. Make it easy for everybody. Sounds good to me. All right, we got time for Nyla's email here, and she's got a particular problem. Yeah, Nyla has dealt with some cold weather. She's in Tanner, Alabama, and we appreciate your writing. Said, last week I had to thaw out a water line in my kitchen sink with a hair dryer. I live in a mobile home. This is my first winter in this area. And said, how can I cope with this? What do I do so that I don't have to deal with this on an ongoing basis? Well, Nyla, the good thing for you down in the at least central and southern Alabama area is you don't have the long, cold winters that some parts of the country do. So hopefully this is pretty infrequent for you. And you've had some dips down below freezing over the last several weeks, but it doesn't stay that way during the daytime. So what I'm going to suggest to you first, since this is new, is you check and see if there's any insulation at all on that water line coming up out of the ground. And as the further south people live, many times they forget about insulation. That by itself will probably solve your problem. You want to be sure that you're using an exterior rated insulation, not the phone or the material that you put inside your walls, the fiberglass. This will be a pipe insulation. And you want to take it down into the ground. Don't just stop at the surface of the ground. You want to take it down about six inches below the ground, insulate the pipe from that point all the way up into, and if you can get into the cavity above the floor bottom, you want to be sure that that's taken care of. Now, for your particular environment, that will probably solve your problem for almost any winter that you will have because you're not telling me this is constant, but this was a pain to you, I'm sure, on the day that you had to deal with it. And I don't encourage people, I know a lot do, just to run water because you're wasting water, and a lot of them do it to keep lines from freezing. But if that is your only resource, you may do that on occasion, but be sure and get these lines insulated 
Get, I think that's all you need. Nyla, thanks for listening, and we appreciate your writing to us. Don't forget, you can always send Ken an email question to the website, kenthecontractor.com, and we encourage you, when you go to the website, there's a lot of valuable home improvement information right there at the website at kenthecontractor.com. You can check out podcasts uh, while you're there. Take a look at Ken's Toolbox, which is some of the most frequently asked questions on the program. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, Ken is here every weekend at this time answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.